0: Well, you can join me in opening your Bibles or your Scripture journal to the book of Ephesians, and we're still at the beginning of the first chapter here. And let's pray together. Our Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus, and we recognize that everything we have is from You, and that You have made us, You have given us all good things, you have governed our lives with your goodness, and your plans for us began before the world began. So we pray that you would help us by the power of your spirits to be strengthened to understand who you are and what great blessings you've given to us through Jesus. Amen. Well, we're studying the book of Ephesians because this book gives us a beautiful and true vision of God. And Paul begins this book by giving an expansive, a deep, and a true vision of the God who made us and the God who has saved us through Jesus. And so I'm so grateful that we're studying this book together and immersing ourselves in it. And I mentioned just few minutes ago. I'm so grateful for how so many of you have already even shared with me how you are immersing in the book. And so, uh, please do let me know. If you haven't, I'd love to hear how you're engaging with this book, and as we go through this series, what God is doing through His Word in your life. So, please do contact me. Grab me on a Sunday. Drop me an email. Um, I'd love to hear it. So, this morning, we're focusing on Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 6, and uh, we're going slowly, relatively slowly through this book. Um, It may feel slow. We're going to be in this about 22 different Sundays, but John Calvin took 48, so we're actually going pretty fast compared to how fast he preached through it. But the reason why we're studying this book and slowing down to immerse in it is because we need this. Um, Our lives are filled with distraction, filled with such a fast pace, uh, that, and, and we're so shaped by our own culture in so many ways that we need times to where we can put distractions aside and focus on God and know Him. Uh, he calls us to get out of ourselves and look at Him objectively, who He really is. So, this is a part of a longer, longer section. There's Uh, A long, complicated sentence in Greek, which stretches from verse 3 to 14, will take three weeks on this longer sentence, and so here's what Paul is doing in this larger section of verses 3 to 14. He is exploding with praise in front of us. He's not just exploding in praise himself in doing this in this letter, he's inviting those who read this to join with him in this kind of explosion of praise. So, this text exists to help us get caught up in praising God for the blessings of salvation. So, here's the main idea in the first part that we'll look at, verses 3 to 6. This text, verses 3 to 6 in particular, is inviting us to join in praising God the Father for His grace in blessing us and in particular in choosing us and in adopting us. So, Ephesians has two parts to it. The first half of the chapters, chapters 1 to 3, are mainly a celebration of gospel doctrine, a celebration of God in the richness of who He is. The second half of the chapters of the book, chapters 4 to 6, take this truth and spread it out into all of life, and show how this gospel is relevant to every moment of every light, every day of our lives. So, we're at the beginning of this first half, which means we're going to be doing a deep dive into gospel doctrine, and it's meant not just to make us smart, but to transform us. It's meant to prepare for all of these implications that come for all of life, and it's meant to make us swell up in worship of God. So, that's what we're dependent on God to do here. So we'll walk through these main ideas in this first part of the text as it invites us to praise God. So why should Christians praise God? Why should our life daily throughout the day, moment by moment be turning to praise in God? Why? Three reasons in these verses. Because God has blessed you. Because God has chosen you. And because God has adopted you. So let's take each of these in order as they come in this text. First, we praise God because He's blessed us. God has blessed you. Paul says that God is to be blessed because, you see how he opens up, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why should God be blessed? First reason, verse, four, or verse 3, because He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, he's using here and beyond this verse big and lofty language, and it may not resonate with us at first, especially if you're newer to the Bible. You may wonder, what does he mean by the spiritual blessings and in the heavenly places? So, what are these blessings that he's talking about? Well, I used to think that Paul mentioned this at the very beginning, God's blessed us with spiritual blessings, and then he kind of moved on from that and started talking about different things. And so we were kind of. I'm kind of left to myself to just wonder what. I wonder what those blessings are. Maybe it's just kind of a vague idea of blessing. But this isn't a one-off statement. It's actually the introduction to these, the rest of these verses through verse fourteen. It's kind of verse three is a heading over what comes after it in these, in this long stretched out, drawn out sentence that that comes here. So in other words, what he does is he says God has blessed us with these. Spirit-given blessings, and then he starts listing them. So, as we look at this section over the next few weeks, what we're doing is we're seeing the richness of what it means to be saved. These are the blessings of God in saving us. So, think of this section, verses 3 to 14, kind of like Niagara Falls, and verse 3 is at the very top of it. Saying, here's the blessings that God has blessed us with. Here's their coming. And then it's like Paul's at the bottom of Niagara Falls or off to the side. He's pointing at different parts of this rushing waterfall saying, look over there. Here's one blessing. Look over there. There's another one that comes. Look over there. And they're just surging toward us, flowing out of God who's an everlasting fountain of joy and goodness and kindness. And it's flowing from him. He's pouring these out to us through Jesus and by the Spirit. And then Paul, he's not just getting specific then about the blessings themselves. In doing so, he's showing us what God is like. Because we find out what God is like in how He blesses us. So God reveals Himself in a number of ways. He reveals Himself through creation and nature. He reveals Himself through all of Scripture. And a central way God reveals Himself is in the way that He saves us. So God from eternity past wanted to display who He was. And the, the, most, the height of that display, the apex of the display of God's glory was what He did in saving us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And all the blessings that flow from that, and they, they come flowing to us in this text. So this tells us not just of how great God's blessings are, but who He is. In fact, we we find out what it even really means for God to be triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, by seeing how He saves us. I hope that becomes clear in the next couple of minutes here, because here's what I mean. Notice verse 3. Paul's not just praising God generally, but God is a triune God. Notice all three persons of the Trinity here. Blessed be the God and Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul mentions the Father and the Son here. And then our translations don't quite bring it out as clearly, but he mentions the Spirit next, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The word spiritual doesn't mean what we might think it might mean at first. It's not referring to kind of ethereal blessings or merely non-physical blessings. It's referring to the blessings of the Spirit. These are Spirit-given blessings, holy spiritual blessings. And then look what he does, Look at what He does in the rest of the section. So, He introduced Father, Son, and Spirit in that order, and then He's not tied to this rigidly, but there's a general flow, as Dave mentioned earlier in our service, in this text that moves from the blessings of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So, first, the work of the Father. The Father's the one planning everything and giving these gifts. Verse 3, He's the one who has blessed us. Notice verse 4, He is the one who chose us. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption. And verse 6, this is all to the praise of His glorious grace. So salvation is planned by the Father. Now second, it's the work of the Son. Verse 7, in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And verse seven or 10, the, the purpose of the Father for all of human history is for everything to be united in and under Christ things in heaven and things on earth. So the Father's plan is for everything to be brought under unity, under Christ. And then third, the work of the Spirit. Verse 13, here he says, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. So we have a great inheritance coming. And he gave the Holy Spirit to us now, ahead of time, as a down payment, as a first experience of this inheritance. So when Paul thinks about salvation, he thinks of it, as flowing from the triune God, not just an abstract deity in general. Christians do not just worship you know, God abstractly or generally. So, if Paul thinks of the Father's work in planning salvation, the Son's work in accomplishing salvation through the death of, His death and resurrection and further intercession. He thinks of the Spirit's work in applying the salvation to us personally and individually. So, here's a helpful way of thinking about it. The Father plans salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation, the Spirit applies salvation. And we see this all through the New Testament. And Paul doesn't so much, or really through the New Testament, the Trinity isn't so much directly explained and taught on. It's everywhere assumed and it permeates in the background. You can see it all through the book of Ephesians. Some of you probably already have have you studied this. So, Paul explodes with praise, partly because he understands not just the beauty of salvation, but what this reveals about the beauty of the triune God. He sees the Father lavishing blessings on us and doing this through the work of Jesus and then applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And before we move on, let's focus on what he says about the work of the Son. Look again at verse 3 where Christ is mentioned. The Father has blessed us in Christ with every blessing. So, in Christ is the key phrase in this section, in this book, in the whole New Testament. What does it mean? It means that we get all of the blessings of salvation through union with Christ, by being found in Christ. Um, This means that the blessings that God has for us in salvation, they only come to people through Jesus Christ. They aren't to be found anywhere else, only in Jesus and being united to Him by faith. So, we call this doctrine union with Christ, and we see this That phrase may not show up, but the phrase in Christ or in Him is all through the New Testament, all through this letter, because it means that when we trust in Christ, as we're united to Him by faith, we get all the blessings of salvation, and they're all found in union with Him. So, it's like we're a TV that's just sitting there, kind of blank screen, unplugged, nothing going on. And then you take that power cord and you plug that in and it just fires up and lights up and starts working and color blazes forth from the screen. That's what it's like to be united to Christ by faith. We get plugged into Him and life comes to us. All of God's blessings come to us and they will not come except from being united to Him by Christ. So, as we start looking at these blessings here, this is the main thing we need to know. These blessings are true of every single Christian. This is not a list of blessings that we need to strive for. This is not a list of blessings for spiritual Christians. This isn't a list that we can kind of pick and choose and ask God for, like picking apples from a tree. Uh, We have all of these things, whether we know it or not. If we're plugged into Jesus by faith, this is what's true of us. And so part of the Christian life is just learning to understand and enjoy all that He's done for us and just how much He loves us through Jesus. So, if you're a Christian, this is true of you. You may be a leader, or you may feel like you're just limping along. You may feel weak. You may feel struggling, like you're struggling. You may feel wounded in this season of life. But the joy that Paul exudes here in celebrating the blessings is available to you because you're in Christ by grace. And if you're not yet trusting in Christ. If you've not yet been plugged into Him by faith, this is the only step you need to take. You don't need to try to grab one or or two of these blessings and try to think, how do I make, impress God to get Him to bless me like this? You just trust in Jesus. You give yourself to Him. You turn from your sin and you trust in Him, and then this is all yours. You pray, God, I have been outside of Jesus and therefore outside of all of these blessings. I've been ignoring you, and now I'm turning to you. I'm turning from my rebellion, and I'm, I'm opening up my empty hands of faith to receive you and all these blessings freely, not because of me, but because of Jesus and His death for me. And then we're united to Him. So, that's the first reason we praise God, because He lavishes these blessings on us through Jesus. Second reason. We praise God because He's chosen us. If you are in Christ, you find out that He has chosen you. Beginning in verse 4, Paul starts listing these spiritual blessings, and he starts as far back as he can go, before the foundation of the world, to eternity past, before you were born, before anyone was born, before anything existed, there was God, and what was He doing What was the first blessing that comes to Paul's mind when he thinks about salvation? As far back as we can go, God was there, and He chose you. The first blessing that Christians have is verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Verse 5 said something similar. He predestined us for adoption. Now this may be surprising to you. You may have been all pumped up for our study in Ephesians. And we start out with verse 3 and we're learning that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and this sounds amazing to you and you're eager to dive into Ephesians and to explore the heart of God and His blessings for us and then boom, right away, out of the gate, election and predestination. What, What do we do with this? And here's what's so surprising. For some of us, Those words squelch our joy and keep us from being able to praise God. They make us uncomfortable. We can start raising objections in our minds to these ideas. And yet what's so surprising is that for Paul, we should at least just observe this, for Paul, this is what first came to his mind when he wanted to praise God out of the overflow of his own joy. He's filled with joy. He's overflowing with thankfulness. And so, He brings up right away as the first blessing that He wants to just overflow in praise to God for, the first blessing. He says this, we are chosen. This is the first thing, and He doesn't defend these truths here. He doesn't try to explain them in detail. He doesn't even anticipate that anyone who reads this will have a problem with it. I mean, his heart is just exploding with praise, and this is what comes out. Now, there are other places where he does explain them and overcome objections and help us think through this. I'm thinking of Romans 9 through 11, for instance. But here, he just brings it up to praise God for it, and he's assuming that Christians who read this will join him in praising God for this. He's not embarrassed by the truths that he's talking about. Uh, He he doesn't think he needs to defend God at this point. He just praises Him for it and invites us to do this. Now, the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty in our salvation is if we rightly understand it. Now, it can be wrongly understood and therefore rightly rejected, if you don't understand it correctly, right, but rightly understood, this is one of the most comforting truths in the Bible. So I wonder if it's the same for you. When your heart explodes in praise for God and you start listing and telling God the things that you're grateful for, the blessings of salvation, does this come to mind at all? Does this come first to mind? Are you filled with adoration of God for this reality. I know for many of us this may feel very foreign, so let's think through it a bit together. Um, Paul doesn't explain it here, but what he does say about it can really help us think through it so we can at least not misunderstand him here, and I think that's important. So, what does it mean that God chose us? Well, most basically it means this. If you are a Christian, it is because God chose you. God's choice is the bottom of it all. So how would you answer the question, why are you a Christian? Think about it. Here's one way to answer the question. Because I chose to trust in and follow Jesus. That is a true answer. No one's a Christian without it. But that's not the deepest reason. It's not the deepest answer. Because we can still ask another question of that. Why did you choose to trust in and follow Jesus? And the answer to that question is, most ultimately, because God chose you. To say that we trust Christ is true. But what that's doing is it's, it's giving a true answer from the human point of view our experience. We choose God. We experience that, and it's true, and and we become a Christian. We're united to Jesus. But that's not the only perspective. It's not the broadest point of view. From God's point of view, we learn more. We find out that God actually chose us first. And so, what we need to do then is if we've only been thinking about our salvation from the human point of view or from our point of view, What the Bible does is it teaches us to expand our vision and view our experience from God's point of view as well, not to contradict our point of view, but to expand our vision of what is really happening here. Now, there's a number of questions we may have, so I want to consider a few of these and look through this verse carefully to to see how it helps us think it through. So first, you may be thinking, does this call into question God's love? I mean… does this seem to present a God who isn't loving towards people but is kind of cold and just arbitrary? What we see here is that Paul doesn't, just let's observe this, Paul does not give any indication that he sees this as contradicting God's love. Instead, this is expressing God's love. So this is about God's relational love. And this is incredibly important to see because the one who chooses us, what is he called in this text? The Father, the Father. I just heard this last week, someone saying that, you know, even John Calvin, who gets kind of in trouble for people thinking that he talks maybe too much about this or emphasizes too much, even he said, if we don't think about this doctrine from the perspective of God as a father, we do mischief. That's really helpful. God is a father doing this, this is a relational God and a relational act. And it says He's predestined us for adoption. Verse 5 says He did this in love. So, God loves all people, and He has a special love for some. And if that doesn't seem fair, I think it's helpful to just step back and recognize that we do allow for that reality to be true of everybody, and we don't think that's unfair, right? So, I love all children, but I have a special love for my four sons, and that's not unfair. It's because those are my children. There's a special love, and that doesn't mean I don't love other children sincerely and truly and wholeheartedly. So what this is saying is that God is like that. He has a special love for some, and here's why this is important, because just to see that this is not contradicting God's love but expressing it, because this is not an abstract deity making some cold and arbitrary choice. That's not at all how this is presented in the Bible or God is presented. This is about a father choosing people in love, setting His heart of affection on people to adopt them into His family. Second, you may be thinking, uh, but maybe it's true that God chooses us in response to our choice of Him. So, maybe our choosing comes first, and God responds to that by choosing us. But Paul makes sure, it seems to me, to, to see that God's choice comes first, and it's completely free It's not conditioned on our choice. He made it before we were born. Verse 4 says He chose us before the foundation of the world. So, Paul's reaching back to eternity past. He's showing that if you are a Christian, God didn't start blessing you the moment you believed. He was blessing you from before you were born. He was blessing you from eternity past because He had His heart set on you, and He chose you in this special way. And this means, then, that God's choice is not a response to our choice. God's choice comes first. God chose us before the foundation of the world, and then in history, He brings us to faith by grace. So, some have thought that maybe you picture it like God's looking down the corridors of history. So, God from the turn he passes is looking through the corridors of history, and He sees who might be most inclined to choose Him, who, who would respond to His grace of their own initiative and choose Him. But that doesn't work with how the Bible talks about it. For example, Acts thirteen forty eight. Paul is preaching to a group of people, and people are responding, and then Luke, the author of Acts, summarizes what happens as people responded to Paul, and he said this And when the Gentiles heard this, so you can just note this for, for later, Acts thirteen, forty eight, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. So, it doesn't say, and as many as believed were then appointed to eternal life. It's as many as were appointed to eternal life. As many as God had chosen and appointed to eternal life, those were the ones who believed. There are other places that speak about God foreknowing us. For example, Romans eight twenty nine says, for those whom He foreknew, He predestined. But it's important to note that when Paul thinks about foreknowing, he doesn't say that Paul, that God foreknew something about us like that we might be inclined to respond to the gospel. Instead, it says that He foreknew us. It's, It's a knowing of us ahead of time. It's a personal knowing. It's relational. He knew us before the foundation of the world. So, here's a third question you may be thinking. If this is true, wouldn't that lead to people not caring enough about holiness? I mean, if God just chooses you, and you think you're just in because He chose you, who cares how you live? I'm sure people could misunderstand this and abuse it like that. I'm sure many have. But if they do, they're missing the point of why God chose them in the first place. Because look at verse 4. Paul gives the reason for his choice of us here. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So, this is God's plan for His people. From eternity past, He was thinking about eternity future, and He was choosing people to become holy, to become filled with moral beauty, to reflect His character, especially as it's then seen in Jesus Christ, which means if you're a Christian and you think that God's choice of you means that it doesn't matter now how you live, you've missed the point, the whole point of Him choosing you. Here's another question. Maybe you're thinking, wouldn't this make people proud? Right? Doesn't it sound arrogant for people to say, I know God chose me? And the answer is, if we recognize that this is really all by God's grace, which is the point of this, then it should do the opposite of that. This is one of the most humbling doctrines in the Bible because it tells us that we are so incapable of saving ourselves that unless God chose us, it wouldn't have happened. Romans 3 says there's no one who seeks God. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, dead, spiritually dead, without a pulse, and unresponsive to God, which means if God did not choose people, no one would be saved because we do not want Him on our own. We will not respond to the gospel positively on our own. Which is why this is such an act of grace on God's part to say, I'm not going to leave it like that. I'm going to refuse to let that be the situation. Instead, I'm going to set my heart of affection on some. Now, there's mystery here. Why did God not do that for everyone? I don't know. And the Bible doesn't tell us. But we marvel at his grace that he did it for any of us because none of us deserve it. And you see Paul's tone here. He's just marveling, he's not arrogant. He is low before the Lord and praising His grace. Verse 6 is where this is all heading. He says, all of this is to the praise of His glorious grace. So this is ultimately about the grace and love of God. We do not deserve to have a place around His family table in His home. We do not deserve to be part of His family. We were spiritually dead and He chose to adopt us, which means that if you believe this doctrine and you are proud and arrogant and divisive, divisive, and you like to pick fights about this kind of thing, it would mean that you don't actually believe this. Not all the way down and not down to your heart. You believe this is really about your goodness then, because you think you're better than other people. But the whole point of this doctrine is to say that no one is better than anyone else on their own, and you would still be spiritually dead if God did not choose you and rescue you and bring you to Christ. So, this shows us that God's taking the initiative. So here's my own personal response to this. I think about my 11-year-old self. I lived in California, minding my own business. I didn't know who Jesus was. I did not understand the cross, that He died on the cross for me or for uh, my sins. I didn't understand that. I I don't know that I really heard it clearly. I didn't care about the Bible. I didn't care about my sins. I had quite a mouth. And I'm just minding my own business. And then sometime through that year, By the time I was out of that year, I knew that Jesus died on the cross, and He rose again, and He's returning, and that He loved me, and He died for my sins. And I wanted to read the Bible, and I started being convicted about my 11th, 11-year-old language, um, and not wanting to sin against people in certain ways. I mean, what happened to me? I wasn't asking for that. I wasn't looking for that. I was minding my own business, and God rescued me. And so, I look back and just say, thank you. Uh, if God did not do, it, do work in my life, I wouldn't be here. Um, and so, very often, I mean, some of you have an experience where you sense that very clearly. You were not asking for this. I mean, you're just minding your own business, ignoring God. And then He just changed your heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus was beautiful to you, and here you are. Others of you, it might have felt like a process that was more um, intentional, and so you're, you were engaged in trying to wrestle through this, and, and you knew, you're, you're, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, and that's true. And then later, you come across texts like this and realize, oh, wow, that's what was happening to me in that process when I was, the Lord was leading me to care about these things and to seek this truth. So we all have different experiences, and what the Bible does is it helps us see our lives from God's point of view. And then we say thank you to Him. So, how do you know? Here's another question you may ask. How do you know if you're chosen? I mean, this isn't meant to be a threat to our assurance of salvation, but a a deep comfort, actually. How do you know? We don't need to try to get out God's book where He's got every name written. We don't need to try to pry into His mysterious counsels. We find out by believing in Jesus If you believe in Jesus, if you are are entrusting yourself to Him, you're chosen, which is why Paul's writing this letter to a church of people who are following Jesus, and he says, praise God, He chose us. Uh, And so we can rest in that and have gratefulness. So just a couple observations before we move on, very briefly. uh, Let's feel free to talk about this and study it together. Paul brought it up. I mean, it's in the Bible for us to know, not to ignore. And it's in the Bible a lot. So, God reveals it. I mean, just think, why would God put this in here? He must want us to know this. And why would Paul celebrate it? He must want us to join Him in celebrating this. So, that means that, yes, there's a lot to debate about. this. There's a lot to understand. There's mystery here. There's questions I don't have answered about this. In church history, we've had people disagree with the details about this throughout. But just because we can't all agree in all the details doesn't mean then that we can say, so let's just not talk about it. God sets the agenda for what we should talk about and think about, and He said it in the Bible. And so what that means then is we talk about it, but we talk about it in a way that's in accord with the way it's presented and in the, in the way that God calls us to live, which means every conversation is permeated with gentleness, calmness, and mutual love, which means we can even disagree with one another and then hug each other after the conversation. In our church, we teach this doctrine, but we give each other lots of space to talk about it and wrestle with it. And so we should be open-hearted toward one another as we discuss it. So, I'm happy to have follow-up conversations as well and share different texts with you. I've often commended um, a book by R.C. Sproul called Chosen by God. Encourage you to uh, work through that book as well if you have further questions. So, let's not be afraid to talk about it. Second, let's not be timid about praising God for it. That's the whole point of this verse here. Paul is praising God for this. So, if, if you have come, if the Lord has helped you to understand this, and to whatever degree you do understand it, um, don't let the fact that it's hard to understand and it's been disagreed about between people keep you from praising God from it. To kind of leaving it and say, yeah, I, okay, I believe that, but it's kind of, uh, I better not, uh, mm, right? Just praise Him. Uh, thank Him for it. Uh, thank Him today. God. Thank, I mean, I did that this morning. I realized I don't, I don't thank Him for this now. I just, God, thank You for choosing me. I wouldn't be here without You. So praise Him for it. And then third, let's leave plenty of room for mystery. There's a lot here. But the reason why this shows up in the Bible is because it matters to God. So here's the point. When it comes to what God's revealed in the Bible, there's, there's kind of a point at which He reveals, reveals things, and then after that, He keeps things to Himself, right? There's secret things that belong to Him. Our posture should be, we want to know everything that he's revealed as much as he's revealed. As much as he wants us to know, we want to know. So we, we want to go all the way as close as we can. And then we also, at the same time, don't want to speculate beyond that and plunge into the realms in which he hasn't revealed. Which means with this doctrine, the, the kind of cry of mystery doesn't happen at the very beginning. We don't say, election, whoa, mystery. No, God's talked about it. So we, we study it. We try to press in as much as he's revealed, and then we also then don't start answering questions about it that the Bible doesn't answer. There's a lot of questions about this I don't have answers for, so I don't know what the Bible has answers for. Um, and so we, we stop and we say, there is mystery here. Um, and so we, we, let, we let that be the case. So as much as we can understand that we want to. Okay, well, let's move to the third reason why we praise God, and that's this, because he's adopted us. This is the next blessing that he gives, verse 6, or verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So, we see the word predestination here again, so I won't spend any more time on that other than to say this. Once again, when Paul thinks about election and predestination, he thinks about it with warmth. And he sees a God who loves us and a Father who's adopting us. But let's focus on the actual um, word here, adoption. He's adopted us. This is one of the greatest blessings of the gospel. Very often we draw attention to the different blessings. Blessing of forgiveness, for instance. We love the doctrine of justification, which is that God declares us righteous, even though we're sinners, for Christ's sake. um, Because He died for us and we're united to Him. Uh, But that's a courtroom image. Adoption is a family room image. So the judge then doesn't just declare us righteous by grace. He, then say, he doesn't just say, you can go free. He says, and come home with me. And everything I have is yours. You're adopted into my family. It's one of the highest blessings of the gospel that God would call us father. And this is identity forming. Because when God adopts us, we become his children. Our identity changes. We're sons and daughters of God. So, Christina and I adopted our oldest child, Moses. And one of the things that surprised us, and I think other people who are close to us too, is how over time um, we don't think often about the fact that he was adopted. We do because we celebrate that, and we celebrate that aspect of his heritage and his identity. But the the truth is he's just our son and we love him and we're doing life because we love him with a whole heart just as much as every other son there's he's not he's not a different kind of son his identity is my son which means it's important to me even how i talk about this to never say that moses is adopted he was adopted that's an event he is my son his identity is my son, whom I love, and he became my son through adoption, which I thank God for. So, this is important for us to remember as Christians. That's how God views us and treats us. He doesn't, he doesn't view us as anything other or outside of or anything other than the fullness of what it means then to be his children. And how did He do it? Verse 5 says He did it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God the Son, the Son of God. And by getting plugged into Him, we become sons of God with Him. So, God is not just putting up with you. He wants you. And that's even reinforced in what He says, yeah, next. Do you see what He said? According to the purpose of His will. This was His idea. It's not that God kind of put out an ad saying, willing to adopt. Um, This was His idea, His plan, His purpose. He predestined you for this because it was His heart's desire, His purpose. So, I want you to hear this morning, if you're in Christ, God looks at you in the eye as it were this morning and says, I love you. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I wanted it this way from before you were born. And that's a great blessing. And if you want to be adopted into God's family, He shows you the way to get there. It's through Jesus Christ. You come to Him through faith. You say, God, I want you to be my Father. Adopt me through Jesus Christ, by grace. And He's happy to. So, how do we respond to all this? Well, let's be patient with each other. Paul's saying these things after he thought about them for decades. Um, he studied, he thought, he read. And so, if some of you have a hard time understanding this, it, this was hard for Paul to understand at one time as well. And so, let's not uh, expect ourselves to have everything figured out as well. Let's just keep learning. And one of the ways to do this is to immerse ourselves in the book of Ephesians and let Paul be our instructor by the Holy Spirit. And uh, second, last, let's praise God for what we do now. To the degree that you understand the blessings of salvation, let that lead you to worship. The whole point is verse 6. This is all leading to the praise of His glorious grace. So let's let our minds and hearts never stay too far apart from one another in this. The more we learn, let that fuel our worship. And the more we experience God, let's make sure that that's fueled from right thinking about God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for and we bless You for blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you for choosing us that we might be holy and blameless in your sight. We thank you for predestining us for adoption as sons and daughters, that we might be secure in your love forever. And we thank you that this is all for the praise of your glorious grace. And so we pray that by your Spirit, You would help us do that this week. We recognize that we are dependent on you wholly for even our own growth in grasping who you are and what you've done for us and in responding rightly. And so please, Lord, transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing the doxal.